I'm Lauren. I'm Kia. And this is the Journey to Transformation. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Tia, where are you right now? I am still in my clinical trial. Still. So yesterday was our last day of getting the placebo or the medicine. And so today and tomorrow are just chillaxing days. And then after that, I get up. Wow. To wreak havoc on the world. You are almost out. <laughs> Yeah, three weeks. Wow, listeners have really followed your journey um, through through the last couple of episodes, at least. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what you gonna? What's the first thing you're gonna do when you get out? Um, gosh, uh, I think I'm gonna walk straight out of this building and go to the Tesco, which is a like a grocery store, and I'm gonna find something crunchy Mm -hmm. because everything we eat is kind of soft. So, like chicken tikka masala with rice or spinach and ricotta cannelloni everything is very soft Mm. yeah i'm looking forward to just like biting something that crunches (laughs) so maybe like an apple or some crackers (laughs) go wild on those crackers yeah but i haven't had coffee or any kind of alcohol or any kind of chocolate in three weeks wow i'm saving the coffee for our first full day back at work so that i can just have a sip and just run wild zoom into the work yeah nice good idea yeah, zoom good into idea. the workplace yeah really yeah. good idea and smash that to-do list I mean it's probably quite nice as something to to think about people doing and, and me like having a bit of a, a break from things like coffee or or chocolate <laughs> so hard they may be <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, not all not all studies are like that. But this one particularly looks at your heart. So there were lots of days where I had an ECG, which is an echocardiogram. I had a machine kind of hooked up to me because they want to understand how the medicine might be affecting people's hearts. And so they don't want to give you anything that's got caffeine in it. But not all studies are like that. So I've done studies before where you can have coffee and tea and whatever. But it's generally always a rule that you can't have booze. I think they don't want people getting rowdy. Gosh, fair enough. It's yeah. already kind of getting a little bit Stanford experiment in here with some of the volunteers. I think everybody's getting, getting a bit ready to go. Yeah, so. I can imagine. It's been a long time in the I same I won't name setting. any names, but somebody got their head shaved the other day, so. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's one way to, I suppose, celebrate you're almost out. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a combination of boredom, to be fair. Oh, and okay. also when I say I won't name any names, it's also because I don't know anyone's names. We're all <laughs> numbers here. And yeah. uh, somebody said, oh, I didn't catch your name. Uh, what is it? And I said, I don't believe you're supposed to have my name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm number 233. <laughs> exactly. Gosh. 1042 is actually my number. Oh, wow. Okay. For everyone who's listening. Yeah. 1042. Yeah. So, yeah. so if you see that uh, sexy outlier in the... Uh, published result 1042 is the one you're looking for oh gosh are you allowed to reveal that <laughs> i highly doubt it will be that granular this has been a long-term study and they're not going to pull out anybody that yeah fair enough fair enough so, well you should think about doing one yourself yeah let's see <laughs> We're coming into summer and it's finally sunny. Um, yeah, I mean, if you don't want to contribute to the evidence base on how medicine impacts people differently, then, you know, that's fine, I guess. But do, 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 but do they really need more white women in trials? I mean, they need more women. What's that? It's an antidepressant or something. I don't know what it's called. It's not Valium, it's something else. But basically, they didn't trial it on women. And actually, what they found is that women needed half the dosing than men, than men needed because they didn't have very many women in the clinical trial. Wow. So whether you're white or not, in this case, doesn't really matter. Yeah, fair enough. In all other cases, it matters that you are an entitled white woman. Okay. <laughs> I will bear 
bear that in mind. There are certain cases where I can step forward and say yes. You see, this is the tension I find. And I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I want to contribute, have my say, step forward. You know, I want to kind of be... Cheryl Sandberg, you want to lean in. I want to lean in. I want to say like and you know from years of being um honestly intimidated by power not feeling I can speak in spaces not feeling like I had anything worthwhile to say to then now be grappling in my mind with oh actually I shouldn't be stepping forward or maybe I never actually have either like it's quite an interesting like tension when I have this reflection in my head but this is a perpetual eat pray love moment for you so I'm sure you're you're not finished (laughs) what does that mean <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but you know, I, I realize there's an Indonesia and find yourself. <laughs> Oh God. I will say there is a bit of a contradiction with what I'm saying because I am talking on a podcast that people are listening to. So there we are. That's true. But I allow you to be in this space. So. Oh, thank you. I got an invite. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) I want to briefly talk about a show that I watch called The Power. It's based on a book by Naomi Alderman. And it is a fiction book where women, or actually not just women, but women mostly, and no spoilers, but I'll broadly say women are given or have a certain or different kind of power. I hugely recommend reading the book. They just made it, the reason I'm mentioning it is because they just made it into a four-part series on Amazon Prime. And I read the book and thought the book was great. And I was like, shall I watch this? Shall I watch this? And it just came up and I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it. And it's really, really good. There's so many patriarchal and gender norms that are represented in the space where women are given more power. And I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's a couple of things that just kind of made me go, whoa, you give women more power, but they don't still feel like they can use it. Like you give women the power to, you know, do whatever and and nobody can stop them, but yet they still hesitate yet. They still, and I'm generalizing because obviously this wouldn't be the case for women, but this is kind of the message that that is coming through this show in this book is they still hesitate and they still respond to other people's power over them in a way that sets them in a, an inferior space and it takes a much longer time for women to take that power and use it and I find that so interesting even when women are afforded just the, the highest power wherever and also the emotion and empathy that remains even when they have this power still able to stop and think should we be using it in this way or not whereas and I hesitate to draw these lines because again these are really general and binary but men pick up a gun and use it but but the women didn't and I think like that I just found the representation of that and these complex norms so interesting how they're represented in this book and in this series so if like me you like sort of think of it more about what you're watching then I recommend it's a really thought-provoking one and that was our new segment Lauren's recommendation corner (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) there we go (laughs) something that's really been on my mind this week And this is why gender norms are so pervasive, because it's really hard to break out of these things that we've been conditioned to believe. We don't call things normalized unless they're really deep in us. And this is why, you know, problematic gender norms are so problematic. (laughs) So like endemic and persistent and nefarious is because they seep into you. you can you can be somebody who is empowered and, you know, sits at the front of their truth, but Sometimes you just 
sink into these ways of being by accident because you've been coached to do it. Yeah. And one way to really, I think, tackle some of these gender norms is through language, right? And inclusive mm. language in the way that we we talk about people in the world and, and different gender identities. And I think that brings us on to what we're going to talk about today. Nice segue. So... So we're going to talk about Oxfam's Inclusive Language Guide. Why are we talking about this? I think it's coming up because Oxfam is a great friend and foe of the podcast, <laughs> depending on what, what they've been up to. Obviously, they're a big player in our work, in our space in general, in the not-for-profit and humanitarian development space. It's been big news in the UK because this um, Inclusive Language Guide got some traction on the uh, far-right media about anti-woke, whatever bullshit people want to spew who completely have misunderstood, either willingly or not, what woke means. Part of it is because it's in the space, it being talked about, we want to talk about it too. From our perspective, we want to be more inclusive in our language. We want to use language that empowers other people. So not just includes other people, but is also empowering others in our words and hopefully in our deeds. We, you know, just a shout out to Eddie Bailey King, who joined us on our podcast a few dozen episodes now. (laughs) We talked a lot about how we can be more inclusive in our language and called us out for being ableist in some of the language that we were using. And we have corrected that. And we have checked ourselves and checked other people when we hear things like that. We're more attuned to it. So it's just another opportunity for us to look back at language. And this is a a guide, which I think is both helpful and maybe harmful. I don't know yet. But yeah, you know, the Inclusive Language Guide is looking to capture people's experiences and it's looking to help you help one engage with others in a way that's more inclusive, more respectful, more empowering. It's important to adopt inclusive language because this is how we address harmful stereotypes that we may or may not realize we have. It's how we Mm. contribute to dismantling and reducing discrimination. And language is also just something we become, I think, so unaware of what we're using, right? Because every day we're just talking to our friends, our family, people at work. It's just kind of a a normal thing that just comes and we say it. And it's really bringing, as you said, that kind of awareness to what we're saying. It's hard to do, you know, it's hard to think about those things actively when you're, you know, moving through life and and who you're engaging with. And, you know, the international development or human, I don't think actually, I don't think I can say international development anymore the humanitarian not inclusive it's not inclusive yeah it is it's in the guide <laughs> not joking um although you know we should also come back to like how much you should take from this guide and you're right to sort of talk about like what it means to be a guide you know the sector that we're in also means that we interact with so many different kinds of people um yeah. and and i think that's important to say and acknowledge from everywhere and all over the world so you know there is also a reason for for this being perhaps a little bit more relevant for some sectors and people over others not saying that people shouldn't take from it what they can and what they think is right and and the inclusive nature of it because that stands for everything in life but in your day-to-day there may be things that that you come across more frequently I think that there's an opportunity for people, even if you're not encountering any of the topics covered in the guide in a regular way, I think it's also bringing about an awareness for the way in which our language evolves. Because there are words we used to say that, you know, if I said any of those words now, I'd be chased down. 100%. Um, Our language evolves. And if we're not careful to evolve with it, we can inadvertently harm people. And I think that's why it's important, regardless of whether or not you're 
interacting with some of the topics that are covered in, in the inclusive language guide. It's just, it's really important. You know, a few years ago, my cousin said something, she was like, it's just so gay. And I was like, but what do you mean by that? Because I'm a big homo. So what are we talking about right now? Are you saying it's incredible? Like, what do you, and obviously like, she's my cousin and she would kill and die for me. But it's just a kind of way in which our colloquialisms need to catch up with where we are as a society. And, and mm-hmm. as our social consciousness continues to evolve, in my view, for the better, our language needs to come with it. And I think sometimes maybe our language is static in the sense that it's evolved. Like in our space, for example, we'll talk about decolonial, we'll talk about shifting power, we'll talk about like woke, we'll talk about intersectional feminism, we'll talk about, we'll use all these buzzwords, but we maybe aren't looking at how the words we're using on a day-to-day interpersonal level needs to evolve. Yeah. Hundred um, percent. And interestingly, I think rather than inclusivity and equity driving our language, it's been technology that's driven the evolution of our language. So, um, you know, things on TikTok or Googling, for example, you know, like that's in the dictionary because people Google because that's what we do now. <laughs> so, I, I think that what's driving the evolution of language, I, I think, is perhaps interesting in terms of like what we're prioritizing. The ways in which technology is bringing people closer and closer together, it means that you're interacting with people more and more. Like I'm not talking about the bigger globalization piece, although that kind of touches it. But technology enables us to be more connected and in so many different ways and with a diversity of people that we really need to be thinking about how not to fuck people off by dead naming them or, you know what I mean? Like misgendering someone. Like I know this is like a huge battleground in the States, but at the end of the day, it's just like not being a dick. Yeah. And being mindful of the people who you care about. And and if we want to talk about like cohesive communities, we need to be talking about how we not use words that cause offense. Yes. On the other side of that, I do think there are limitations because sometimes people say things accidentally. Like I dead named people that I care about on accident because I yeah. wasn't mindful in my speech. I obviously recognized it as the second that it came out of my mouth. The harm that I was speaking about before is using this guide as a tool to chastise people. That's a really interesting point. the right thing. Yeah, that's and, really interesting. I don't agree with that. Where we're trying to go is about people getting better and recognizing that it's a journey to transformation. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Not the destination. <laughs> if we give everybody permission to be on the journey at different parts of the journey, then yeah. you know, things like this, I do think are good. And I think there's a really important thing in that, in like giving permi- permission for people to fail, because you're right. It's it's almost a scary place when you think about becoming attuned to your language, because I totally agree with what you're saying. And it doesn't do its purpose if it, if it becomes a guide that makes us more cautious or makes us not say the things that we want to say. And, you know, there are certain things or certain people that may feel that this is another layer that means they f- they don't say because they're overthinking or maybe they're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that because I'm not sure if it's right. And there's a confidence in being able to step forward and say, I'm going to say this, but I don't know if it's right. So so there is that piece. And, and I do think it's really important to draw attention to that. And I think about myself as someone who was very, very shy and I would not say rather than get it wrong. So like, you know, there's a real kind of drawing attention to it's okay if you do get it wrong. And also we should probably just put a trigger
trigger warning at the beginning of this episode to say that we are going to be talking about words that could cause harm. Well, could cause harm or make you feel trigger some experiences you've had in the past. So, you know, just to say that, that we will be touching and talking about those and maybe to say also... This is the episode where Lauren drops the N-word. That's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I've been but, trying. I've been trying for 61 episodes. <laughs> never happening and and you know just to say if you know listeners you've been listening to us for a while then you'll know that we like to drop some humor in here as well so please take what we're saying lightly if if we're joking about different words Let's just set the scene a little bit in terms of what the guide actually is and what's in it for those who haven't had a okay. chance to whiz through 92 pages <laughs> Woof. but it's in it's in landscape Oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, maybe I should. You can't say, God. Yeah, I, know. God. <laughs> I was just gonna say I should probably stop saying that. And actually, my parents always used to say you can't say God. That was something they said to me all the time as a kid. I could say, oh my gosh, or gosh, but I was I couldn't say God. Yeah, or maybe you should just shake it up and you should name all of the deities in Hinduism, for example, like go through them. Or maybe I should just not you say that at all. Just spread it out. <laughs> Okay. Oh my Buddha! <laughs> oh my Satan, Dark Lord. Well, I think people if, might if look at me a bit strange. You need to include. Okay, I'll go through a list. Yes, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Who am I excluding in my language by by saying one over another? Anyway, going back to the guide itself, <laughs> the purpose and objectives were or are to use language that values diversity and respects the dignity of individuals. It's practical guidance on using person first language and avoiding stereotypes. What does it mean by person first? Like I? No, like person with disability as opposed to disabled person. So we talked about this with Eddie. So you just switch it around. So you're centering the person. I see. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And and that's what the guide is recommending all the way through. But remember when we spoke to Eddie, she said that it's different for different cultures whether you use person first language. Mm, That's interesting. But that's a really interesting point. Point. Can you bank that and we'll come back to it? It tries to avoid assumptions based on stereotypes or prejudices. And I'm saying tries because I'm not sure if anyone can avoid all assumptions at any time. That may be another discussion for another day. Emphasizes the positive and avoid using uses language that devalues or marginalizes people. The guide covers areas relating to gender, race, ethnicity, age, disability, sexual orientation, and more. Has a glossary of terms and suggestions for alternative language choices. It encourages critical thinking and self-reflection on the impact of language choices. Its target audience, this is important to note, is Oxfam staff, partners and stakeholders involved in humanitarian and development work. I actually don't know if you can say stakeholders. Well, I think there's a, a dark history with the word stakeholders, actually. People who hold stakes. <laughs> well, that, I think that's exactly the history where it comes from. I think there is like a really dark history there. Limitations of the guide may not cover all specific language nuances. Language is dynamic and constantly evolving, as we discussed at the start of the show. Recommendations may be influenced by other regional or country-specific factors all over the world. It may not address all possible power dynamics or systemic inequality inherent in language. It's more than, I guess, just what you say. Language recommendations may not always be universally accepted or acceptable. 
requiring adaptations depending on the situation. So I think there's a bit of common sense there in terms of how you read it and how you use it. I think another limitation that actually isn't in here is that it's in English, which they acknowledge as a colonial language. I know it's tough times, but Oxfam's got a pretty decent budget to translate a 92-page slide deck. <laughs> maybe they did did, uh, did they or maybe it's coming or i don't know i don't know the limitations of accessibility are that it's mm. written it 92 pages the colors are i find a little bit wild as well it's kind of hard to look at on some of the pages yeah it's important so, yeah. note on visuals as well there accessibility of visuals yeah sure it's so, online it's online i've got limitations coming out of my ass <laughs> We use the limitations section as a kind of, don't worry, we've thought of it. Mm. So before you come at us, we're going to like address it yeah. ourselves first. So like, I think it's good to have those things and not, not as a get out of jail free card or whatever, but to a certain extent to just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know people are going to hate on this. And here's why. Here's like the context that we understand that this is never going to be. And like perfectionism is not, again, like the, the goal for something like this and for our own work and evolution in this space is not perfection. It's a step forward. And I think, yes, you know, good to have the limitations, but like, if you're looking at this with a generous heart, then what you're looking at is a positive step forward. If you're a raging piece of shit, like Piers Morgan, then yeah, you're going to look at it through the lens of shit covered eyeballs. hundred <laughs> percent. And, and that nicely leads us on to how the world reacted to this. <laughs> and I think it's about three weeks ago now and, and it really blew up on Twitter and some usual suspects. And I think in a time where the culture wars, whatever they really are, are dominating our newspapers and our, our media spaces. So this in a way was was prime, what's the word? Material, Order. yeah, to really kind of stoke that fire. And I, I wonder how much Oxfam anticipated that. I, I read somewhere that it's like the highest feedback they've ever had about a document they've put out there. And I have to wonder how much they higher and, than the one where there was sexual exploitation and abuse I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know but if it is the case i'm cringe and i will leave society what's, tomorrow what's for sexual abuse and exploitation in haiti or an inclusive language guide like let's look at that critically as a society yeah please let's take that that's a very good uh, a good sort of mirror to hold up at people you've got mp brendan clark smith saying that we should stop giving oxfam money which is basically <laughs> what happened when it came out that there was sexual these exploitations. Right. <laughs> are these, these are like equivalent things. Yeah, well, apparently. Or people have forgotten that. I'll never forget. And, and we never should. But yes, I, I have to wonder how much Oxfam anticipated this kind of backlash or critical assessment of it and whether they had, you know, responses ready or a way to disseminate and engage people in this process. Like, you know, you just put a language guide out there that, you know, to, to us might not be shocking or, or different but to other people and I'm thinking about maybe other generations that maybe are grappling with a little bit some of these cultural changes and social changes you might feel a little bit unnerved or fearful like is there a space to allow these groups to engage with this and say you know what this is something that we want to hear from you about what are you worried about this guide what are you going to take from it what are you not going to take from it and maybe it doesn't 
matter, but the, the British public has a, a complicated relationship with Oxfam. And and I think this is this guy demonstrates that a hundred percent more given how much people have responded to it. And again, I have to think the response, which, you know, from what I gather was quite negative in a lot of ways, how much power people think Oxfam has to shape language. Like is this guide really that much power? It just amazes me how much people have an opinion about Oxfam in the UK and it's and it's complicated relationship. If I had to guess, they didn't plan for this because mm. they put out stuff all the time for their staff partners for other people um, in the humanitarian development space. They publish a lot. The Oxfam repository is massive. Right. I know this because you and I have done a meta-analysis over what's in there. So <laughs> I have a feeling that they thought they'd put some other thing out in the universe in the same way they put a bunch of other things out in the universe. I don't think they were prepared. I'm guessing they weren't prepared for how this was going to be perceived. Mm. And why would you? Like, we're in an economic crisis. Climate change is real and is trying to kill us. It seems odd that we'd focus on an inclusive language guide as the thing to take on board. But, you know, I guess that's also a thing to focus on. <laughs> I mean, that that was some people's critique was that, you know, shouldn't Oxfam be busy dealing with poverty over writing this language guide? I, I think there was people couldn't understand. Oh, I mean, from the other side. Oh. <laughs> Like, why is Piers Morgan so obsessed with this? Oh, right. It could be covering. <laughs> yes, yes. Because I would argue that this guide en enables them to do their work better, right? Mm. Using precision in your language about who you're talking about, who benefits, the people who receive benefits from your, what is the new word? What's the person first word for beneficiary? Um, person who benefits. <laughs> they don't, they, they, by the way, they don't even use the word rights holder. It's just participant or service user. Person who is a user of service. That would be person first language. Yeah. I don't know. Service, service. Is that not person first? The service user, user service. I don't know. I'm getting No, because you put the service first. So, but do you put the user first? A user who used the service? No, person who uses service. Okay. Person first. I, this guide was made for you. You're a mess. Go on. But right, like being accurate in our language and better accurately describing the people and communities that we're interacting with. Like this is a mm. means to do that because, you know, we, we can't really get away with, we're at the moment doing a project on data collection and like gender equity and data collection. And we can't really keep living in the world of like disaggregate your data by gender, but there's only two genders, male and female, when we know that this sounds right. Mm. So I think moving more towards an appreciation for, in this example, like diverse sexual orientation and sexual identity and including that in our understanding of the communities and the people that we're interacting with, I would argue enables Oxfam to do its work better. My point is like, does Piers Morgan not have anything better to do than like bitch about Oxfam's inclusive language guide? What, <laughs> well, clearly what, not. I mean, you know, here's the thing, like he's going to pick this up because he listens to this podcast, obviously, and because I'm a like empowered brown woman, he's going to come at me like he did Meghan Markle. So like let's just buckle down and get ready for that maybe you know what we should do we should like stir something up with megan so that pierce has something to like focus on we need a lightning rod to get him <laughs> off of this thing <laughs> my point is there's so many other things to worry about that everyday human beings are worried about this feels and i think this was one of the things that the ceo of oxfam said is that this is like a distraction because it is a distraction this is not this is not what 
what your everyday person in the universe wants to be distracted by is like how Oxfam tries to use language in a way that's more supportive of the people it interacts with. Like 100%. And, and this is this kind of like system thinking piece or this bigger piece, right? You know, you change your language to become more inclusive and hopefully other parts start to move with it. You know, it's this kind of like you've got to start somewhere, you start spreading that and then other things start to evolve and change with it too. So, yeah. What other critiques have come come down the pipeline? Yeah, I mean, there were some really excessive ones around the claim that English language contributes to inequalities and power in terms of, I think it's some one article, I don't know if I put it here, we're sorry for using English. Like people took it to the extreme and were like, oh, we're sorry that we're using English. <laughs> like mm. that's not what it's saying. And there was a real kind of defensiveness in, in yeah. that shout out for, for it, for the apology for using a colonial language. And you could really sense that kind of like, yeah, defensiveness um, and people calling it bizarre. The sarcastic apology is always like such a weird one when like somebody just calls out the fact that like the primacy of the English language is excluding people from engaging in really important functions of a global society. Like, oh, sorry about like, it's in English. Nobody's saying that it's an individual's fault. It's okay to recognize where you situate in perpetuating that. Like I am a single language user in my life. I only speak one language. Also the language of love. Ooh, la. All right then. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Is there a section on that? Wait. Oh no. Rude. Hang on. Yeah, I'll take that one. I don't know. I don't think people need to be the def- you're describing it exactly right. It's just this like white fragile defensiveness. I'm like, that's not what we're saying. Like, I bet if you asked somebody for whom they identify as someone in this guide, they won't be like, oh, Oxfam, you piece of shit. Do you see what I mean? Of course, people who are like fitting in these XY categories are going to be like, Piers Morgan is a rich white man. Of course, he's going to be defensive and offended because he's fucking fragile as fuck. So like, I get it. But for me, some of the stuff that's in here and how people will engage with me differently, it's important and it means something to me. Yeah, totally with you, Piers Morgan can just go away. Yeah, he can fuck right off. Um, well, we've been telling him to do that for ages. He doesn't listen to us. <laughs> That's right. We get right <laughs> at the beginning. So another kind of point of tension has been the use of or the recommendation that so the guide recommends that instead of using like mother or father you use parent and and there was some um, feedback that you know this is ignoring the words mother as good for development um, and I guess this kind of erasure of women and mothers by using this more general term parent and Maya Forstata who founded pressure group Sex Matters uses this argument and, and put it <laughs> put it out there on Twitter. This guidance is trying to apply fashionable ideas about gender identity to people around the world who don't think like this and are dealing with the ordinary problems men and women face every day. <laughs> oh, not hot. I take it back. Yeah, not hot at all. One, there's something in, in the guide that I saw where it's basically this connection where it's always like women and children mm. as if women are the only people responsible for children. And that's reinforcing a gender dynamic that is unhelpful and is 
problematic. And I think that's why, like, you know, one of the things it talks about is like, instead of saying women and children, say men, women, boys, girls, although I have problems with that as well, because I'm, mm. again, in a binary. I mean, I'm of the mind of saying parent or carer, to be honest, because not all children have parents. Some of them have carers. Like, I don't think it's about the erasure of women and womanhood. Like, I would argue that this guide is like, maybe not too inclusive, but like, maybe so inclusive that it's hard to remember all the ways to be inclusive Hmm. it's long there are lots of things here yeah that's so Um, true you can work a whole lifetime trying to be more inclusive and empowering in your language if what people take from this is like the erasure of women and girls then they aren't really understanding the point and therefore what's the (laughs) inclusive way of calling someone a dumbass Um, that's yeah, part two. Um, and, and person I, for whom their ass is dumb. <laughs> there we go. You heard it first. That is as inclusive as it gets. So we often see this thing where just because, you know, th- there's a recommendation about changing a word or changing something or making it broader or more inclusive, that that automatically means you're against everything else. Like this kind of opposition. Yeah. Zero, zero sum thinking. Right. You know, and, and that's very clearly here just because it doesn't, you know, this recommending and this abs- it's not absolute. Like I see the word here, erasure and abolish. And, you know, it's it's not like Oxfam is powerfully taking these things out of the dictionary. It's, you know, a guide. It's recommending. Yeah, just because women and, and mothers are, are saying, you know, maybe don't say this in certain instances, that means that it's against it. Well, we saw that when we, when you had your first Twitter battle with um, Stephen Butler. Yeah. yeah. When we observed that most of his guests were white men. And in that observation, someone responded to us back saying, so you don't want any white men anymore? Is that like, that's not what anybody's saying, yeah, right? Yeah. The, the idea that other people should be included doesn't have to mean that you then start excluding other people. Yeah. And that's a really, really common defense, this like zero sum thinking, which is like really rooted in fucking white supremacy, as are most terrible things. <laughs> Indeed. And, you know, you know, white supremacy in this guide, I know, is the last one in the in the guide. The last word is white supremacy. <laughs> Left the mm. juiciest one till last. Um, I was like, is it going to make it? Is it going to make put it? First. Yeah, I know. Because we went through white saviorism, white guild, whatever. And then finally, white supremacy on its own page at the, the last, last section of the guide. Its own little tile. Yeah. White supremacy refers to the deep seated and at times subconscious belief that white people are superior to black, indigenous, and people of color. It exists worldwide and is more than the behavior of individuals. Instead, it is a system of exploitation and oppression that we are all part of, including white and lighter skinned people. Would you identify as white or lighter skinned? It says white and lighter skinned. Mm-hmm. Hmm. White. I'm the w- this is not person first language. Look it should me. be person <laughs> with lighter skin. <laughs> person who is white. <laughs> a person who has white. <laughs> I mean, look at me. I basically blend in with the cupboard behind me. You are a person who embodies white. <laughs> Fail as they come. Um, A person with transparency. (laughs) Indeed. I am translucent. 
you know, there was positive reactions out there from the usual suspects across the non-governmental organization world, humanitarian actors, other foundations, you know, shared it and said, you know, it's great to see this kind of guide. And and I've even seen people um, copy and paste different words and, and like paste it on their social media as relevant to their work and as a mm-hmm. reference. So, you know, I, I think, you know, there were other positive responses. So we don't just have to focus on the negative as the guide recommends. So... <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's more fun to talk about the negative yeah, than we can talk shit about those people. <laughs> this kind of further confirms to me that perhaps they weren't prepared for this because, of course, like everybody else in the sector would be like, "Oh, this is great. This is really useful." Like you mm. couldn't say otherwise. And in some ways, I imagine this is like a real badge of honor, right? In the in the states, for example, it's like a badge of honor as a politician if the gun lobby hates you because it means you're like standing up for like gun control. Mm, okay. This, I imagine, when viewed through the white lens, is like a real badge of honor that, like, the fucking conservative far right media thinks is blowing it up to this degree. Like, I, if I was Oxfam, I'd be like, yeah. this is pretty cool. Yeah, true, true. Um, that's a really good point. But something to model for your peers, right? Because, like, Land didn't do anything like this. Amnesty hasn't done anything. Mercy Corps. Like, there's a lot, there's a lot of big, I'm just naming those ones off the top of my head, but those are big ones. They've not talked about the, how language matters. They've not put anything out in the public space. Yeah. So in and amongst your peers, in and amongst donors who have feminist foreign aid policies and are like way more fucking progressive than the UK government, like this looks really fucking good <laughs> to the right people. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a leadership approach to, to how to do it, I suppose, and in, in the space and really committing to public what it is you're saying that you do and so there is a risk there right that like then you have to do it like like you kind of have to then live it take the recommendations or and obviously you know going back to people fail get it wrong whatever but if this is what you've put out into the world then that has to kind of streamline across your organization and that I think is is the difficult bit because now you're I think there's an assumption now that Oxon's put this out into the world and therefore it does it and I'm not convinced that that's the case at this point and maybe you know organizations are complicated we know what these large organizations are like and I'm skirting around the issue you're skirting around the fact that we have been on the inside of it no, <laughs> no in great detail what's sticking around in there <laughs> it's you put it out there and and getting that right in your organization that's a whole nother challenge can we assume that everyone in Oxfam is behind this guide or doesn't have a different opinion about it like we can't no. and we shouldn't I think that there's probably a bit of the aspiration that sits in this of like this is where we want to be and this is what everybody does right like think about all of the times when we've said what do you want to get from this or what do you want to achieve and people would just say we want to be thought leaders we want to be leading on this thing we want to be leading on anti-racism we want to be leading on whatever like everybody wants to like lead shit around fine great i think this is like both a stick and a carrot for oxfam because now they've put their big put their fucking asses out there and now they've got to follow through with it Mm. and they've got to have commitment exactly as you said we know that there's some teething pains within 
them, as there are in many organizations. We don't need to get specific about what those teething pains are, but we know that they exist. I mean, like any organization, there are differing opinions and differing. And an organization is not a monolith of people who all think the same. And I think that like sometimes, as you say, the thought leadership piece comes out. This document is out there as a representation, but it doesn't represent everybody in an organization. But isn't that hugely problematic that an inclusive language guide is not representative of the people within the organization who produced the inclusive language guide? Because what that arguably means is that you have people who are your colleagues, if I'm an Oxfam, who think that using inclusive empowering language is problematic. Or is it more nuanced than that and they are behind some no, of it it's not. and not some of the words? Like, can do you have to accept this entire document as a whole? Or do you take parts yes. of it and, you know, that you try and think are more inclusive than others? I mean, and, and this is also like Oxfam International, you know, there's like 21 different Oxfams around the world and their partners. This is massive. It's, you know. But this is a federated structure. So in theory, they there is no wiggle room on something like this, right? Like if this is a mandated piece in the universe, everybody, regardless of which Oxfam you're in, needs to fall behind in it. I would assume. Giving giving different giving Oxfam GB and Oxfam Novib and Oxfam Canada license to either adopt it or not just seems a bit yeah. incoherent to me. Though that wouldn't be the first time an international policy has flown through a confederated structure that then wasn't followed. Yeah, I'm seen sure. It happen one United times. Nations. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, anyway. I'd be any Oxfamers listening out there, you want to come on, chat to us about how you're doing this internally, we'd be pleased to have you. <laughs> Well, depends on what your view is. <laughs> Give us a call. We would have you, um, but whether we'd be pleased to have you is different. <laughs> okay, I'll host you. <laughs> There's more nuance to it. Fair, better fine. Do, better do it when I'm in another clinical trial. <laughs> Three weeks from now then. So this has been so interesting, understanding the guide and people's reactions to it and, and how that really reflects, I think, in a lot of ways, where the UK is right now and, and how divided it is and how, how odd it is that inclusion can divide people, you know, in a broader sense is a really odd thing. So this is the end of part one of our discussion. We haven't quite got yet to the to the contents and the words itself. So we're going to save that for part two next week, where we'll get into a little bit more the kinds of words that they're recommending um, and our, our opinions on that. <laughs> as ever. So stay tuned for that next week. And thanks as ever for listening. We'll put the guide in the show notes um, and anything else we mentioned if you, you fancy exploring that. Um, Tia, any final reflections before we sign off? thinking what we should do in the next episode is turn it into a drinking game and you have to drink every time you used a word that they said you weren't supposed to use okay that sounds good i'll uh, i'll get the shots then okay we should face <laughs> by the end of it <laughs> unbelievably so <laughs> well thanks for listening everyone i'm lauren i'm tia and this has been the journey to transformation bye for now bye Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.